Hello and welcome back to the Villa Filler podcast. I'm here, as always, with my good friend Dan Wiseman. Dan, how are you doing, mate? I'm all bad. I'm, uh, well, to be honest mate, I was going to say I'm, I'm not bad. But last night didn't exactly inspire too many positive emotions, did it? No, it, and yeah, we may as well get straight into it. You know, I'm sure you've seen other reactions. You've heard other people. Um, Danny Raza asked me to hop on a live stream with him. We just kind of spoke about the game last night, pretty raw. Um, just, just about the game, just having a, a general kind of footy chat, really. Um, and I think, as it was just, you know, we were briefly just mentioning off air, Dan. It, it was, it was just. Villa looked like they, it, it, I mean, and Dean Smith even said it, it was a very pre-season vibe to the game, which he clearly wasn't happy about. Uh, you know, I think, first of all, we've got to give credit to Stoke for getting the job done. I think they knew what they had to do and ultimately didn't extend themselves more than they needed to. They got the goal from the set piece and then they were always going to be looking to be tight at the back, playing playing with, you know, a back five but Villa didn't really challenge him that much, Dan. And I've seen quite a mixed reaction, and I'm sure you have as well. I'm sure, you know, we've probably gone through all of these emotions ourselves last night. Um, you know, some people are saying how totally unacceptable it is, uh, that it's a disgrace. I think we do need a bit of perspective, though, Dan. You know, we've, we, we were, we've won all of our games up until this point, so that's always a good thing. Yeah, a cup run would have been really nice. Obviously, we made it to the final last year. There are bigger fish to fry. And to be honest, we probably could have done without the cup run last year. Um, you know, it's easy to say that with hindsight, but uh, with, with what was going on with the, you know, the, the fight for survival, uh, maybe it may be distracted Villa in, in some ways. Um, and, you know, if you make 11 changes like that against Stoke, and I don't want to accuse Dean of underestimating Stoke at all. I think if anything, he's shown almost too much faith in the, the team that's got him that far. It's always going to be difficult, Dan, isn't it? Yeah, mate, look, it wasn't, you know, I don't want to go, the, the team selection, I can understand, look, 11 changes when we're one game against um, that kind of opposition away from a quarterfinal, um, you know, to, to make 11 changes, you know, it might seem a little strange, but that 11, and, and Dean also mentioned this in the press, it did us so well against against Bristol, it, yeah. you know, it, it almost looked like, Two two completely different sides. The fact it was uh, the the same players, um, sort of, you know, if, 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 to the untrained eye, as I said, it almost looked like two different clubs altogether. We played without the same, just sort of desire and, and creativity. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I you know, I, as I said, I don't think we necessarily underestimated Stoke. Just just perhaps that. I think the players failed to live up to the occasion. And I think this is potentially where, um, you know, not having fans in the ground uh, hurts you most because it, I think with, with fans there, it's a completely different game. And when you, you've got the fans sort of, and, you know, occasionally you do need the fans to get on the players' backs and, and yeah. draw them forward and, and it, it encourage them into it to give them something a little bit more. And I think that... That's perhaps what we were missing yesterday, but it ultimately falls on the the players and the coaching staff to to reinforce the importance of the game and the significance of the game and and, and just where this club could be it, ninety minutes after a win in the quarterfinals with you know and, and you you look at the teams and you know there's there's still favourable you know if we, if we went and got a Brentford 
or someone yeah. like that in the quarterfinals, then then you know, then a, a good performance against them, and before you know, you you could be in the semis, and then so there's still a, a good path. And look, as you say, this season is not about cut runs. I think we've done the league cup justice for for a season. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not exactly yeah. devastated to to go out of the competition. I think last season, you know, getting to Wembley and stuff like that was amazing. I think the the priority this season definitely has to be on on establishing a more um, progressive finish in the league but um, I think it was just not the, the fact that we've gone out of the competition but the, just the manner of the performance um, I don't want to get too carried away I don't want to get too negative I've seen you, yourself and a few of the fa- Villa fans calling out some some uh, some Villa fan accounts for some some very hot takes um, yeah. which which I think were uh, unfairly um, sort of targeting some players and stuff like that and I don't quite buy into to all of that but yeah it, it as I said I think it was just the manner of the performance which which upset most people mate yeah I think as well with these kind of games and you've got to look at the players you've played with such a history in the competition and you know people always bang on about that but you know winning the league cup as many times as we have uh getting so close last year and with the players who have got us this far as well, there's very much this for me. If I was in that starting eleven, uh, I'd be looking at it very much like this is my time to leave a legacy at this club because Henry Lansbury's been at the club for nearly five years and only played fifty games. So you know, if he plays his part and gets Villa to a League Cup final, potentially win the League Cup, obviously all if buts and maybes. I'm sure he can look back on his back on his time at Villa and and go. Do you know what? Yeah, I you know won the League Cup, got this far, whatever. There's a legacy there, um, and I think there's a clear sort of gulf in class between the first team and the team that played last night that has to be addressed, and and it is being addressed with signings that are being made. We don't just turn into Manchester City overnight. It doesn't work like that, and. It's quite surprising to me how uh, some some Villa fans have reacted to that and have, you know, also not been able to understand that that eleven that played last night probably wouldn't even be anywhere near the top six in the championship. So to play a mid-table championship team who are unbeaten in seven have only conceded, I think, three goals. Stoke last. Uh, you know, since the start of the season, you know, I, I I don't know. I think I think maybe Villa fans are getting a bit too carried away with with our form in the start of the season. We've won four games. That's amazing. We should be happy about that. I'm absolutely not saying that we shouldn't, but I think perspectives needed on that, Dan. Um, and I think you know, just just to briefly talk on the on the goal, um, and it's a frustrating one because it's from a set piece as well. It's not like we we gave up too much in terms of chances for Stoke. It was foolish playing out of the back, got us into a situation where we gave up a corner. You've got three players who were marking Sam Vokes. The main man was Gilbert, which, I mean, that should that should tell you everything. I, I think even if the performance wasn't as good, I think it's just things like this where we've spoke about on the podcast before. If you iron out these inconsistencies on the set players, you're very much in the game. Um, and Villa could have found themselves in, in with a penalty shootout potentially. Um, ultimately, I think we got what we deserved, Dan. But um, I think sometimes players need to take responsibility on the pitch 
to change things up or, you know, potentially go against the grain because I'm very against zonal marking. And if anything, you know, it's proved it, the fact that Gilbert's matched up against Vokes. Sometimes it takes someone to go, I'm going to pick him up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go make that challenge just to uh, maybe step out of line of what Dean's asking, you know, for a second, but ultimately for the, the better good of the team. Well, that's what I think, mate. And I think that's what, you know, without sort of slipping back into the to the doom and gloom of, yeah. of sort of our podcast last season, it does feel a little <laughs> bit like that, doesn't it, mate? Almost. Um, <laughs> it, the, the, the word is responsibility, and you said it there, mate. And I, I said it um, just a few minutes ago where I think that there is an onus on the players in, in situations like that and, and where players have to take responsibility for for the game itself uh, and showing up uh, and dispatching of that opposition and and I was saying this to you know my, my, to my mates yesterday I was like there wasn't exactly a golfing class between the two 11s yesterday no. you know you know I was was better yes and, and you know we, we still had some some good players in there um, you know, the likes of Traore was playing, El Ghazi and Rossi didn't have the best game. You know, there, there was still some 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 good players out on that pitch, really, players that have done well in the past or hopefully are going to do well for Villa. Um, but there was a lot to like, you know, from, from a lot of players I thought played well for Stoke. Um, and th- they have a very clear and, and rigid way of playing under under. No, no, and so Michael O'Neill. Um, <laughs> God, I'm getting confused between <laughs> my own uh, Yeah, you don't want that. Um, but know that they played very well. They operated a, a game plan, um, and you, you have to credit them for that because um, what he's done at Stoke um, O'Neill is so different to what Nathan Jones failed yeah. to do, and you can see the. The sort of backbone and the steel that he's instilled, and a, a very sort of um, sorry, Jack, if you're listening, um, I'm mean, a Stoke fan, but a very Stoke way of playing, yeah, uh, so to speak. Uh, and, and they operated that to perfection last night. But I think there is an onus on the players, and as just to use that word again, make responsibility whereby um, you have to go, We are Aston Villa, we just we have a chance to be in the quarterfinals again, where. You know, from an, from an outside, you know, if Villa went and achieved a sort of 12th, 13th place finish in the league this year, Villa fans would see that as a resounding success. I don't know about you, mate, yeah. but I'd be absolutely delighted by that. But from the outside looking in, it's 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 fairly unremarkable for most other Premier League fans. Uh, and so, you know, if you achieve another cup run or something like that, and, you, and you, you know, you, you go out and say in the quarterfinals, we got a bit unlucky with the draw and we went and pulled off a giant killing or, or something like that. And... and it just adds a little bit of excitement to what could otherwise be perceived as a slightly mundane season. And look, mate, it's, yeah. it's, it's what it acted as for me is um, I was just so delighted we didn't go down last season because that game is probably what we would have been seeing if we were in yeah. the championship. That kind of eleven against a team playing playing that kind of football, and it just, it just smacked me of the championship. Like teams come to Villa Park looking to steal a goal off a set piece or stuff like that and then setting up two banks of four with a deep uh, playing a deep block literally on the edge of their own penalty box at times uh, and Villa just sort of not peppering the goal but not even really getting that close just sort of failing to, to navigate that that sort of defensive setup and um, yeah mate look 
I think I don't want to don't want to rattle it home too much because, as you say, mate, we we are the positivity filler over here, and uh, no matter <laughs> yeah. what, we, we you know we we always try to put a positive spin on things. But um, no, I'm I'm happy that um, you know if if that's the kind of performances we were going to get out of the League Cup, I'm happy to leave that tournament there. Yeah, I think the defeat could have come in a much more embarrassing manner, as you kind of touched on there. The two 11s weren't that far apart, really. The the game wasn't particularly an exciting one. I actually find it, found it quite difficult to follow, to be honest, because it was it, it, it was just dull. But yeah, I think whatever whatever said there is best left in the past. And we should get on to some hopefully more positive news, because you will have all seen the thumbnail, you'll have all seen the news and the title. Aston Villa have been linked, according to Alan Nixon, to a high-profile striker. Now, obviously, the rumour has come from John Terry commenting on Diego Costa's Instagram post saying, take me home, captain, take me with you. And it's, you know, it's kind of snowballed from there. Villa Twitter went into a meltdown a few days ago. Uh, Massa have reported it in Spain. Um, I'm not entirely sure on, on, on their credibility, Dan, you know, a lot more about, um, about the Spanish press than I do. Um, but, you know, just seeing it reported in you know the, the nation he he's representing and, and playing in is uh, encouraging. I want to say I, I think there's there's some very differing opinions on the signing of Diego Costa. It would undoubtedly though be a real statement of intent, Dan. Yeah, it's a funny one. This 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 is uh, this is one that sort of as you say uh, we did a. Um, uh, Transfer rumor mill um, a little while back on uh, Higuain and uh, yeah. Cavani. Do you remember that? And that yeah. was exciting. Uh, and, and this sort of little, it's a bit pie in the sky. Um, but look, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, mate, if it had come last season, I would have, it wouldn't have surprised me that much because Atletico didn't have a good season last year. Um, you know, it was sort of borderline Simeone potentially looking like his time was done that you know because what a manager he's been for Atletico but it sort of was looking like he'd come towards the end of his cycle and and just like anything um eventually you know you you just need that change and uh, especially with the way that Simeone plays I think things can often get a little bit stale when you're watching Atletico um but uh I watched him the other day um they played uh Granada uh, at home, which might not sound like too difficult a game, but for, for people that know Spanish football, uh, Granada have just made the Europa League. Uh, that they came up and, and they're a real tough. They're sort of like um, an Atletico B. They sort of play a very similar aggressive style of football. So Granada is is a tough game against two very similar styles. Um, and Atletico just were less off the lead, and, and it was such an exciting performance. They beat them six uh, one. Diego Costa scored. Um, Suarez came off the bench, assisted and scored. Gel Felix yeah. scored, um, and it, suddenly Diego Costa looked like the striker that we were seeing at Chelsea. Uh, there was a quote he gave after the game uh, when I was watching the presses, which I, which I really liked uh, on a potential front two between uh, him and Suarez. <laughs> uh, he said, "It's a great partnership. One of us bites, and the other one kicks." Um, <laughs> and I, I really like that. Um, and yeah. it's that, that is all you need to know about that front two. And um, you know, it, it does seem like uh, 
what a, what a menacing partnership that is, but that he might have found a, um, a companion in, in, in Suarez. But, you know, let, let's not forget that there, there does need a place in that 4-4-2 system for Jao Felix to be introduced permanently to the system. Yeah. He's sort of been not a bit part player, but he hasn't nailed down a spot yet in that 11. And there comes a point in, in a player like his development where he needs to be playing consistently. And, you know, it needs to be the man and we're seeing all around the world that you know players like Ireland Mbappe um, you know you don't need to be sort of old and a veteran striker to, to be the go-to guy if you're young enough you're you know if you're good enough you you, you can play that that role and, and Felix needs to do that and it could potentially mean with Suarez coming in that Costa is sort of pushed to the bench maybe a little bit um, and he doesn't strike me as the sort of guy that's happy to, to sort of sit on the bench and, and come on for 10-20 minutes at the end of the game uh, and, and is there a part of me that thinks he, he'd like a final swan song in the Premier League? Uh, yeah, I think there is. It's, it's, it's a weird one because uh, you guys, you all know what Diego Costa is about, we've all seen him he is a very Marmite striker you love him or you hate him uh, you know, he's, he's the kind of, uh, you know, wind-up merchant that I think the Premier League needs. Like, we, I, I, like, the Premier League has such a clean image, you know, no one really speaks out of turn, everyone's this, but, you know, when it, every once in a while, a Jose Mourinho pops up, a Diego Costa pops up, people with real personalities and, and attitudes, and I think um, Morpay is is probably one that's you know popping up. I think uh, he he has been memed a lot for his sort of crying celebration after the the, the penalty. Um, Brighton eventually went on to lose. It's very funny, but you know I think I think some respect needs to be put on these players. They're putting on a show at the end of the day, um, and and you know their, their personalities and, and they kind of make it more interesting. I think there is a fine line that that Costa teeters on with with being this character. And just being uh, aggressive for the sake of aggression, yeah. uh, where you know we've seen him get so many stupid yellow and red cards. He's up in the referee's face. He's very angry, and I think it's something you'd want to see um, your own team do. But the, you know, the minute you see an opposition player do it to you, like Morpé, you know, uh, the stamp on McGinn. Obviously, that's not a character. That's just a dickhead move. Um, but you know, ever since then, Morpé has been the antagonist of every fixture between Brentford and Villa and, and Brighton and Villa. Villa fans, first thing they tweet about is Morpay, how much they hate him. And it, it just adds a bit of spice to it, really. Um, my thing with, with Costa, and I'm so excited about this potential transfer, is what it means for Ollie Watkins. Because, you know, we spoke the other night, Dan, after Fulham, about his movement and how, you know, he was unlucky not to to come away with a goal and how clearly frustrated and bothered it was, which I think is a good thing. But Ollie was trying too hard at the end of the day. Now, I think, as you kind of touched on there as well, Costa's not going to want to play second fiddle to anyone. And I don't think Watkins would either because, you know, he could have quite easily have gone to a Fulham, a West Brom, even stayed at Brentford, played regular football week in, week out. I And we undoubtedly need cover up front. I And... This is going to sound really weird saying it. I think Diego Costa's too high profile for yeah. 
for that kind of competition and and what the expectation of the signing brings and what it means for the squad and, and just kind of keeping that dressing room happy and balanced because as I say Diego Costa is going to expect to play most games you know he, he's been very prolific in the Premier League um, so it you know it's fair for him to assume that or, or want the reassurances of playing first team football uh, I just worry what it may do to the squad well, look, I think, yeah, this one, um, I think it is a, is a little bit too high profile. I don't think it's necessarily, um, you know, you, you know, he's he's now so used to playing in, and um, it's been a long time since he's played in a 4-3-3 as well, because yeah. obviously you, you have, um, you know, you take his time at Atletico, well, obviously, as I, as I was saying, it's a lot of four four two four four one one, and then you take it back a step further to when he was playing at Chelsea under Conte, and he likes his, his three and five backs, and and sort of you, you know he's very staple in in, in that way of playing. Um, so it it would take a little bit of time to. But look, mate, I think you know we're seeing that Villa are still hunting um, for this this final striker, and I think a, a striker is important because as I was saying yesterday, I think. Keenan Davis desperately needs a loan. Yeah. I think he, he needs to find that um, that that goal scoring instinct that, that will complete him as a striker. I think you know he he's got a lot else, and and um, I think he, his all round game is good. And, and we always speak very highly of him on that podcast. But he just needs to discover that killer instinct. And, and I don't even think it necessarily needs to, he needs to become prolific. No, I don't think he needs to go away to the championship and have a twenty twenty five goal season. Just so he, he you know understands where the back of the net is against teams that aren't Burton Albion, um, and yeah, <laughs> he, um, he just sort of just gets some confidence in him, which I think is is the most important thing. Um, and I think Keenan deserves that opportunity to, to go out on loan. And I think with with Wesley not just coming back for, for so long, but it's going to be you know I think at least December January before we see Wesley. And, yeah. I mean, you know, he's not going to come back into the first team and them and hit the hit the ground running. Bless him. Uh, you know, it's going to take, uh, you know, another few months in for him to to sort of get back up to match sharpness, which is completely different. Get the fish to match fitness, yeah. um, uh, and sort of discover, um, you know, his his place in the team again and adjust to all these new players around him and everything like that. So, you know, whilst it, we're looking at a December, January return for Wesley, if you're looking at when I think we're going to see him hitting the back of the net again, perhaps like February, March time, yeah. um, uh, before before he's back back playing his best. Um, so I think we will see another striker coming in. I think um, it might potentially be another loan. Um, I wouldn't be against a loan for Tammy. I know that's a well, very sort of bait. We've had Tammy on loan before. Should have bought him, maybe. I don't know. I just think for what you get from Tammy, we know he's got goals in the Premier League. We know he's clearly not in favour at Chelsea. Uh, and I think he, albeit, you know, rotating with Watkins or maybe even having Watkins on the left, you know, th there's some tactical adjustments that can be made. I think Tammy would still get more games at Villa competing with Watkins than he's going to at Chelsea in, in the Carabao Cup, you know. Well, this is this is the thing, mate. Is I think we need variation in our strikers. Yeah, um, I think we we can't have we, we need um, someone that that 
can add a different dimension or a different element. Um, and I think that's where what we, we, you know, we need to be aiming in terms of our recruitment is looking down the route for someone that, that Ollie Watkins hold at play is great, but just adds a bit more of a physical presence, a bit more height, a bit more of an aerial threat. Um, and just so you, you can alternate, not only depending on our position, but, you know, we spoke about this on the podcast last week where in terms of whereby Villa don't have a plan B necessarily yeah. and I think this is this was potentially one of the problems last night is that we just don't have a way to mix it up and and whereby if if our sort of our, you know the Dean Dean Smith setup isn't working we don't have something to necessarily turn to which which sort of adds uh, completely turns the game on its head and, and Villa become a completely different beast we don't have that and I think uh, with the striker being the, the, you know, the real spearhead of, of, of a team like Villa where we're trying to score goals. I think it does ultimately start with with that. And so I think we do need something that's necessarily a little bit different um, that can add goals. And there's potentially a little bit older, more experienced um, uh, that can help nurture Ollie Watkins and Keenan Davis, as you were saying, mate. And so, um, yeah, let, let's hope we see another deal done. Hopefully, I'm I'm sure Villa will keep that quiet. The Ross Barkley thing came uh, pretty, you know, quietly as well. I think he uh, there was obviously the whispers. It kind of leaned more to it being Loftus Cheek. I know we spoke about Loftus Cheek as well, um, Dan, and how we would have liked him. Obviously, over the moon with Barkley. Uh, I just like to say as well in the podcast, I got the transfer fee and dates wrong. Now I did have them written down. But I actually read from my Diego Costa notes. He joined in 2015, uh, 2014-2015 season for 30 million. I looked at the wrong fees. So for you guys calling me out in the comments, absolute, you know, that's fair game. Um, we do try and rush and fit these podcasts in uh, into busy schedules. So I know most of you were very understanding. There was a few people um, give me a bit of grief. So I just thought, yeah, we'd, we'd clear that up. Um, I was reading from the wrong notes, basically. Uh, but finally, Dan. As we move on, we've obviously got Liverpool on Sunday, Super Sunday. It's going to be a very difficult game. And listen, I think Villa, obviously, we've kind of touched on earlier in the podcast. We've done so well at the start of the season. I don't think we've still got out of first gear, which is a good thing when you can still beat teams like Fulham and Sheffield United, not, you know, at 100% necessarily. But not so good when you've got the champions uh, coming up on Sunday. It's going to be a very tough game, Dan. Uh, obviously, we, we cannot underestimate them. It's going to be really interesting to see how someone like Matty Cash copes with Saido Mane. Um, obviously, we may see Ross Barkley, former Everton. Uh, so, you know, there's a bit of spice in that midfield. If he starts, he you know will feel like he's got a point to prove against you know his, his bitter enemies as he's a toffee himself. It's going to be a very interesting game and I'm going to predict it's going to be a very hard one to watch for the fans, Dan. Mate, they, um, we can't, uh, you know, it's one of those whereby you sort of, I really, not, not exactly looking forward to this one. I love watching Liverpool play, I really, really do, but I can't say I like watching them play against the Villa. But last yeah. season with a far inferior team, we put in some decent performances. And, you know, I think what most, uh, I do hate to say that considering we came away with no points. 
Um, and you know, I, I, I'm always very hesitant to sort of mark a, 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 any loss down as, as a good performance because I think that you know that that's um, the sort of sign of a, a smaller club mentality, isn't it? Really, yeah. you know, you, you need to be judging yourself with points when when you're Aston Villa, especially when you're on the the potential tra trajectory. That's that was tough to say. Um, <laughs> uh, that the Villa are, um, and so look, I think. It's going to be a very tough game, and we have to be perfect in in the way that we we try and play through the thirds and operate with that Liverpool press and the intensity of it. Um, you know, there was a couple of times against Fulham where we looked a little bit sloppy coming out from the back, and we we allowed uh, Fulham onto us, and and we can't do that against against Liverpool. We can't have that period in the second half that we were talking about, where between about. 60 minutes and about seven, you know, sorry, about 55 minutes to about 70 minutes. It was pretty much all Fulham. Martinez was having to make a few saves. They had a disallowed goal. We can't allow that period where we just sort of sink and, and regress into our own half um, because we can't be playing backs to the wall football because Liverpool are just too good. They will break you down. They will break you and they will score goals against you. I think you do have to take the game to them. But Look, they showed frailties against Arsenal. Um, yeah. Arsenal very easily could have won that game um, if Lacazette wasn't insisting on chipping the world's best goalkeeper. Um, then yeah. they, they at least come away from a point from Anfield. And so, um, you know, it's not... I don't think they're necessarily the, the machine that they were this time last season. And I, I, I thought um, until about... December, January, I thought they were going to go invincible. I, yeah. I really, really did. Um, they were just this winning machine. And whilst they didn't go and win games five or six nil like the, the, the Centurion City team did of, of a few years ago, they just found a way to win no matter what. And, and the game at Villa Park is, is a perfect example of that, whereby they just find a way to win. They don't stop. You know, I think it was like 88th minute the equaliser, 91st minute that they scored. And whilst it was painful for a Villa fan, I mean, that just encapsulated everything that Liverpool were at that, that time last season. I don't think they're that necessarily this sort of completely imperious, perfect um, outfit that they were. I think they're a bit easier to score against this season. Yeah. Um, I think Leeds have shown that. Arsenal, they, they lost uh, um, to Arsenal yesterday. Uh, yeah, I know Carabao. it was a but Liverpool weren't great. Um, and so, look, it's, it's one of those where what a way to measure ourselves, what a way to see how far we've come and, and you know, just to go and make a statement because we have turned a few heads this season with, yeah. with the fact that we won our opening two games, both with a clean sheet, um, you know, and if, if we can you know, just go and put in a good performance and, and who knows, um, you know, get get a point or, or something like that. And, and just, again, just what a way to, what a yardstick to, to show how Villa we've, uh, how far Villa have come and, and you know, see how these, these signings uh, can integrate themselves against, against um, you know, probably the best club team in the world, not called Bayern Munich. Yeah, I think it's a really difficult one because when you look at, Liverpool and obviously I can't I'm not understating how lethal they are at all because they are frightening and we all saw that last season you know in person for the first time you know we've really seen a proper clock team down Villa Park what they're actually like and it is very different to 
to just kind of watching it on TV uh, and and seeing you see so much more in terms of the work rate and the effort that they put in, um, which is going to be important for Villa if they're going to look to match that. I think, um, and you know, this is contradictory to what you say, but I think the way you beat Liverpool is you let them have possession because ultimately when you're on the ball, they hunt you down. They, you know, they're, they're aggressive in their press. And I think if you let them have the ball, let them do the work, try and hit them on the counter. I think we saw at Anfield as well during the restart. Villa didn't have a lot of possession and Liverpool looked very vulnerable on the counter attack. Uh, a, a much better side would have got at least a draw from that game. Um, but I think Villa made a good account of themselves in that game. We've obviously done a podcast podcast on that before, so I'm not going to go too deep into that. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting to see how Villa line up. And as you say, a very good yardstick for what we've done because we've kept, as you say, two clean sheets. I think it's important to keep the deficit down, not only for um, for the defence, but just you know, in terms of goal difference. I think leads have been conceding so many. And, and yeah, people, um, uh, and in some instances, rightly so, are waxing lyrical about how good they're doing. They're conceding a hell of a lot of goals. Now, if... You know, let's not kid ourselves. We're going to be in a situation where we're potentially fighting relegation. We can't rule that out yet, although we do sit in 10th place, I believe. Um, we can't rule that out. We just can't. And it's, it's important that, as I say, we keep that deficit down because the, the goal difference is what saves us last year, pretty much. So, uh, yeah, as long as Villa put in a full-blooded performance, uh, it's going to be a very good test against, you know, second-best team in the world, as, as, as you s- said there, Dan. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, we can come back, Dan, with another positive podcast about how well we did against, you know, the uh, the current champions. I think that's probably a good note to end this podcast on, Dan. Sure. Uh, it's been a pleasure, as always, speaking with you uh, and, you know, recording the podcast for you guys. Let us know in the comments below what your thoughts were on last night's game. If you're dwelling on it too much, you know, just let us know. Also, what you think about Diego Costa, because, you know, definitely one that's going to split opinions of fans. And let us know your predictions for the Liverpool game. We're very interested to see them. Uh, So if you enjoyed this content, hit the like button, comment your thoughts below and subscribe for more and up the villa. Yeah.